Outlaws are back after um, a bit of a, a small break we've had since November. We're back in someday out there's headphones. Uh, Adam, how are you doing? It's lovely to to be back. Yeah, I'm not bad, thanks. Yeah, um, it's been a while. So, yeah, I mean, we've obviously kept in contact, but we haven't been doing this. Um, oh, no. I think it'll be good to to get up and running again. Excellent. We've um, we've taken a, we've had a very serious conversation and taken a very serious decision after watching the most recent WCW pay per view, <laughs> which was Adam Bash at the Beach '98. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Um, did you watch? Did you actually watch it? Yeah, I did way back in November. Um, okay, so I hadn't rewatched it uh, any time recently. Okay, so. We were due today to talk about Bash at the Beach 98 and I want to say Fully Loaded 98. Yeah. Um, having watched Bash at the Beach, I contacted you and said, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> there, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think there was a passable... And sometimes it's good fun to talk about a really bad card. But at this point now, I don't remember the last time we spoke about something WCW that was enjoyable. Um, it, it gets hard to get yourself up for watching it as well because you know you've watched this one and it's been terrible and your expectation just becomes the next one will be terrible as well that's it and we, we started this as a means of you know having a bit of fun watching wrestling and chatting through it and yeah having fun and, and some watching <laughs> some of Chavo, watching Chavo Guerrero sh- shave his hair off and act like an imbecile <laughs> is not my idea good Friday night <laughs> so we've decided uh, with a heavy heart to scrap our 1998 adventure we may return to it at some point um, but right now we're going to take a break from it and just watch some stuff, watch some wrestling that we want to watch um, and that is what we've decided to, to do for the foreseeable future um, and before we go on and, and, and talk a little bit further about what it is that we've watched and, and what we're going to talk about today um, it would be remiss of us not to just mention Scott Hall um, and the sad passing that's happened um, yesterday uh, obviously growing up um, the age that we are Razor Ramon was um, like a superhero certainly for me, I, I don't know about you Adam um, but Razor Ramon yeah. was absolutely like a, a modern day superhero to me at that age he yeah, seemed larger than life. He he had a feeling of you know before it was a thing he was the cool heel. Yeah. Um. So even even when he was a babyface, there was something heelish there. And even as a heel, you found him likable in a lot of ways. Um. Incredibly charismatic, like yeah. ridiculously charismatic. Um. 
brilliant athletically um, and been involved in some of the, the great matches. Um, and obviously with the NWO uh, being involved in one of the, if not the biggest angles of our viewing lifetime. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a sad loss. It's really sad given what we know that he's been through in his life and um, the point that he got to and obviously he got to um, be inducted into the Hall of Fame with the NWO and you know, like everybody likes a redemption story and uh, we got that with Scott Hall and unfortunately it's it's ended uh, mm. the way that it has, it's really sad but yeah, I was, I was thinking about I was thinking about him and I think if you were trying to put together a perfect wrestler you, you would struggle to go past him. Um, mm-hmm. Like you say, the charisma, oozing machismo. Um, yeah. His finisher's awesome. He's, mm-hmm. he's massive. He had a really cool gimmick that everybody wanted to imitate with, with mm-hmm. the, 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 the toothpick. Um, yeah. And his music was really cool. It was just There were so many different little bits and pieces about him that were just... Mm-hmm. Amazing, and unfortunately, so the difficult life, and um, it's probably went against him as far as some of his behaviour throughout the mm-hmm. uh, throughout his time. But yeah, really yeah. sad. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you've if you've seen or read much, but some lovely stories coming out about uh, putting talent over younger talent, working with younger guys, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, aye, it's a real shame. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I gave you I gave you the, the the chance to to pick first with what you you wanted to watch. Um, <laughs> we're going to take yeah. a, an episode each of picking something, and then we'll watch it and, and do similar to what we've done in '98, but hopefully just be a little bit more entertained. Um, yeah. So tell us, what did you pick? Oh, I tell you, this was difficult because you gave me essentially no brief. It was a blank piece of paper. Go for it, do what you want. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's hard. It's a lot easier when you're working with restrictions. But um, <laughs> what I decided, um, and I think it was just one of the things you mentioned, and I picked up on it, I was like, oh, wait, yes, um, was the, the rise and fall of ECW. So um, this is obviously available on the network. My... I still have memories of buying it on DVD. Uh, those those were the DVD days. Um, so it came out apparently in 2004. I couldn't say exactly when I got it and when I watched it. But what I will say is um, it's obviously chronicling the, the story of ECW from those involved as well as some, some other talking heads. Um, and uh, it's basically, it's, it's like a, a classic WWE release um, however, I think it, it was one of the most popular ones they ever did. Um, and it just, it, it worked because as somebody who wasn't an ECW fan, purely because I didn't know about it, I'd heard of it, I'd never seen it. By the time I watched this DVD, I'm not sure if you were the same, Ross, because I think you were a little more into ECW before I was. Um, but this, DVD at the time was actually my first ECW experience. I hadn't seen any pay-per-views. I'm not sure how available the TV ever was, whether it was, um, you know, you could get it on, on DVDs or anything like that, but it was my actual first viewing experience of ECW. Ah, really? That's interesting. I think, I want to say I definitely, I, I can picture Guilty as Charged, what I say, 97 DVD okay. that I had, and just I remember watching this and just being like this what is this this is ridiculous <laughs> um, but I remember also buying this DVD 
And I remember watching it multiple times and just absolutely loving it. Just yeah. thinking it's like the epitome that and beyond the mat. I think I, I used to think were like mm-hmm. the epitome of wrestling documentaries. Yeah, um, I, I liken it. I would say it's the equivalent. You know, transfer deadline day and <laughs> your team's signed a new player, and yep. you go into YouTube and you watch like a two minute. <laughs> um, thing with like trap music on it and they look like the greatest <laughs> player that anybody uh, anybody's ever signed that's yeah. essentially what this does for ECW although it's a three hour uh, documentary uh-huh. do you know what I mean? It, yeah absolutely um, yeah uh, and I, I think if it was designed, it's obviously designed for not only the fans of ECW who were probably craving content by the point this came out um, but also people like me who just hadn't really had the awareness and can we use this to hook people in because obviously they end up doing uh, initially a couple of one-off pay-per-views that are ECW uh, related Mm. I'm trying to remember what they were called One Night Only One Night Stand One Night Stand that was it Um, and then they unfortunately went for their full launch of the uh, WWECW, uh, which I think everyone just wishes hadn't happened. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, talk through the actual, like it, it's different to anything we've done before. Um, just as a, a little bit of a, a warning for, for those listening, it jumps about a bit. So what I talk through will jump about a bit because the, the program, while it largely features on uh, the talent um, and their storylines and things like that, because the you know the roster wasn't huge, a lot of the talent stories intertwine with each other. So mm. you can't tell one person's story without dipping into another, and then you come back to that other person a little bit later on. So um, just bear with me while I, I go through it. Um, I, I think I know. It's, it's quite sorry. It's quite a good reflection of. Paul Heyman's mind and um, <laughs> in ECW general, generally that this sort of jumps about a bit. It, it reflects the sort of chaotic nature of the, the TV programme they were putting on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we'll, uh, as we go through, some of that will become apparent. You know, br- brilliant mind, no doubt, in terms of the business and some of the storytelling and things like that and getting the most out of what he had. But um, in terms of structure, I think in terms of him as a businessman, which is what's referenced quite a lot of times going through this, a little bit of a a scattergun approach at times. Um, But yeah, so I've basically bought this at some point in the the middle 2000s, I would have said. um, And I'd, I'd, I'd heard of ECW. I'd always thought of it as this just ultra-violent, distant, regional third brand. You know, it it was never in my mind before watching anything on the same kind of level. Um, And you can argue it never was as uh, WWF and WCW. But uh, that was definitely doing it a disservice um, because there's there's a hell of a lot in here that is uh, admirable, influential, um, some some little bits of genius in terms of the the storylines. Some amazing performers, which is probably the worst preconception I had about this. Uh, in that it's all you know, chair shots to the head, mm. um, you know, putting people through flaming tables. There is that. Um, <laughs> there absolutely is that. But there's real wrestling in there as well. Um, there's kind of 
that element I think to to drag people in and then the hope to to make your your stars your homegrown stars uh, and also as we talk through some brilliant promos that that I'll reference um, some of them uh, from very well known future WWF WWE superstars um, that that maybe needed to find a little bit of a footing in mm-hmm. somewhere like ECW and also the fact once ECW was gone obviously for quite a period of time WWE was the only company standing and uh, you kind of lose that alternative but you also lose that breeding ground for other talents um, so we'll, we'll touch on that as we go through as well because that's something where uh, Vince McMahon and Eric Bischoff as the main competitors seem to have a pretty different approach to each other oh in, in how they tackled let, <laughs> let me just say while you, while you mentioned that name I'm going to look through my notes because um, there is some swearing coming up here. <laughs> what did I write? Where is that? Is it just like Eric Bischoff is a, and then... This is, I found it. God, Eric Bischoff is an insufferable cunt. <laughs> Jesus. It's, it's, th- th- this is a slight issue I had with this. Sometimes, and it's probably to their credit, but sometimes I felt that on this you didn't know if people were shooting or working um, mm-hmm. particularly Heyman and from stories that we've heard about Heyman that tends to be just generally his, <laughs> his day-to-day personality is that he's he tends to be lying to people but <laughs> yeah yeah was Bischoff working here or I, is that just him I, I I suspect when it comes to ECW, that's just him. I, I think he is saying what he thinks, and that's fine. Everyone can have different points of view, but I, I don't know. There there was a feeling I had when I was watching through it. There's definitely a couple of moments um, where you're just thinking, well, if that's what he's talking about, and let's face it, the majority of people who bought and watched this were ECW fans. Why have a guy on there who is on there to run them down? Because that's what it seemed like. Um, it it was strange. It felt a little bit out of place in some of the points. Because um, you, you get it with Vince as well at points, but it's never quite as damning or quite... It's like Eric Bischoff is writing them off completely. They, they weren't a factor. They weren't relevant to anything. And I think he at some point totally denies having taken anything from them. Yeah. Which just seemed ridiculous. Yeah, they were talking about Ben. Uh, there's a little part in the in the show or in the documentary where they talk about Guerrero, Benoit, and Malenko. Mm-hmm. Um, after it gets, which I'm sure you got to come on to, but after it gets past the sort of initial hardcore uh, aspect to the product, they t- then talk about having like legit mat based wrestling on it. Talks about those three guys and a bunch of others, um, yeah. and. Yeah, I think Heyman was basically saying WCW took took these guys away from us, and and Bischoff sitting there with smug face and his <laughs> fucking black dyed hair. <laughs> Absolute yeah. dick. Anyway, sorry. That's all right. Uh, I'll just talk through some of the the talking heads. I won't I won't mention that name again yet. Uh, but we've also got Vince McMahon. Um, you've got a whole host of ECW alumni. Um, you've got the likes of Tommy Dreamer. Taz, the Dudleys, you've got Chris Jericho on there speaking. Uh, people who were there who were involved, um, there's obviously 
a lot of emotion from some of them. Uh, guys like Tommy Dreamer, the Dudleys, you, you can tell it's a company that meant a lot to them on a personal level. Um, the, the, the sort of makeup of the show, as I touched on, is it's giving you a, a sort of overarching history, but a lot of it's weaving into who the characters were, mm-hmm. uh, who the wrestlers were. So you'll see a name like pop up. Uh, just as they're starting a story about that performer. And it, it honestly ranges through all those guys I mentioned before, but you've got guys like uh, Sabu, you've got guys like Mikey Whipwreck, um, who turned up and, and made a, a career for himself in, in really unconventional fashion. But I'll again, I'll get to that as I go through it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of that layout where they're telling the story, but uh, weaving in the performers, the storylines, things like that as they go. Um, as a, a first time watcher of it many years ago, I can still remember this. I think the main reason I was hooked in is because so many of these guys had gone on to WWF. So I knew who they were. Um, but I didn't know necessarily some of them I didn't know had been in ECW. Really? That's certain, really interesting. Yeah. I think I probably knew about guys like the Dudleys and maybe Taz. I don't think I would have known that Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Austin, I don't think I knew had been in there, uh, albeit fairly briefly, some of them. Um, I think I maybe knew Mick Foley had been there. Um, but yeah, it's it, that sort of uh, familiarity with some of them hooks you in because you, you know these people. Um, and I, I was intrigued as well because, again, I touched on it earlier, but my, my belief was this was just violence. And you've seen some other, you know, backyard wrestling organizations portrayed in, in shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of it is just absolutely insane looking. And I think that's maybe kind of what my thought of ECW was before seeing any of it. Um, and it's, they touch on this as they go, it doesn't have the production values of a WWF or a WCW. So it does have that natural grittier look. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, I think, suits it. It yes, adds uh, to it. Absolutely. 100%. Um, I, I, yeah, was, I was thinking, sorry, I was thinking when I was good. watching it, you compare that, the way that that looks, compare that to if you were to switch on Raw or SmackDown right now, and yes, it's it's 20, 20 years apart, 20-something 20 mm-hmm. years apart, but I, I would much rather watch that sort of gritty, realistic, non-shiny version of wrestling than, than the current mm-hmm. stuff any day. Yeah, I, I think we both have a feel that it's overproduced now, and this may seem a bit underproduced. Somewhere there's maybe a, a happy medium, mm-hmm. but um, what also intrigued me as I was going, and they touch on some of these really early on, is... Um, my, my my thought process of it just being all blood and violence and stuff like that. There's actually proper old school storylines that are really interestingly played out on, on ECW TV. You've got like a, there's a, a Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman situation where I think they called it a Singapore cane match. Mm-hmm. And it was something that had been in the news about, I think it was an American that was in Singapore commit, convicted of a crime. I think a young American, and uh, basically was getting lashed as the punishment and the sort of uproar about that. And they've taken that and, and done a storyline about it. But at its basis, you know, 
you lose the match, this is your punishment. Um, and it being a very physical punishment, if you think back to really old school wrestling days, that, that kind of thing was, was around for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily a Singapore cane, but some sort of cane, that kind of thing. Um, the other ones that, that jumped out were Tommy Dreamer blinding the Sandman. And then, uh, the way that story played out with the Sandman staying home Stay in his house. and not, not answering the door, not being seen out and about, which it probably sounds a bit funny until you think that this was very much in the Philadelphia area. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a local promotion. So people will see these guys out and about at times, but. Not for that period of time when he wanted people to believe he'd lost his sight. That's um, magic. I absolutely love that. Yeah. That's and missing, again, missing from wrestling. Absolutely. And this is, again, a really old school style story being told to this apparently just bloodthirsty audience. <laughs> um, and I love it. They're, they drink it up. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, and you've got other things like the... Um, there's a raven... Rivalry with now, which one is it? Is it is Sandman? I think S- um, the, the thing with his son and all that. Yes, Sandman. Yeah, now. yeah. Um, where it's like they've been kind of brainwashed by Raven, and you see Sandman losing his his family. It seems like, and again, it's it's like old school stuff, but played out on on this stage, which I was not expecting to see. Uh, I think I assumed that the bit that would be missing, not knowing when I started watching this about Paul Heyman and his background and things like that in, in wrestling was the psychology behind it all. But it's mm. it's there and there's there's a lot of it. Um so yeah, that I think was one of the early things and the would you call this a documentary? Is that a documentary? I would say yeah. so. I uh, yeah. probably quite a skewed um, mm-hmm. yeah. I, think, I think we live in a uh, a sort of luxury now when we we've got something like Dark Side of the Ring. Um mm-hmm. that provides you with an independent viewpoint of things, whereas uh, as we've grown up, we've been spoon-fed almost um, yeah. WWE's history of professional wrestling, and it's um, so. I, I th- but I think this is as as almost uh, sort of unbiased a, a documentary as you get for WWE. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Um, so yeah, the 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 storylines and the old school nature of them were another thing that hooked me in as I was watching this, because I love that stuff. You know, there, there being a story, not just that guy's good, that guy's bad, so they'll oppose each other, but there being a reason. Why, why is there a rivalry? What's the issue? Um, and there's a lot of it in ECW. And as you said, the, the audience lapped it up. They loved it. Um, and the, yeah, they might be there because they enjoy seeing some of the blood and some of the violence and all that, but they're still loving the, these elements as well. Yeah, definitely. There was a, a feud where, let me try and think about who was involved in this. Somebody's partner, someone's girlfriend. No, it was Beulah McGillicutty. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who was she married to? or who was she, was Tom, Tommy Dreamer, I think. And, and Kayfabe, was she with Sandman? Could have been. Uh, or uh, Raven. It was uh, Raven. It was Raven. Yeah, it was Raven. And yeah. she was pregnant and, um, uh-huh. or, or she, she was saying she was pregnant and it was going, it was supposed to be Tommy Dreamers. Um, and then turned out she wasn't pregnant after all. And they did this lesbian, um, storyline yeah. and all that. Um, and when she says, she says something like, it's Tommy's. Like all these guys that are, like you say, are there for this sort of bloodthirsty, um, 
wrestling and, and weapons matches and all that, they're all like, oh! <laughs> it's like, I don't yeah. know. Wrestling really is a soap opera at, at it times. Is. And that kind of thing puts the butts in the seats. <laughs> um, uh, I think the the other thing that jumped out at me early on, um, because again, bear in mind I'm watching this uh, without any knowledge of ECW at the time, was the the wrestling talent that they had, and it's not to say that they had it, you know, through the entire timeline. Um, I'm sure in terms of the level of talent that was on the promotion, there were peaks and there were lower points as well, but. Um, you, you see clips of matches between Guerrero and Malenko, mm-hmm. um, and you've got the crowd going absolutely insane for those as well. And those are very clean wrestling matches. They are middle of the ring, hold for hold matches. Um, and I think, you know, I, I was a bit pretty ignorant to it, not realizing the variety that was actually there on the shows because they also had the, um, the, the luchas as well. Yeah. Um, and I think they, they had some Mexican talent too. Um, they, they were trying to put on a little bit for, for everyone, you know, to try and pull in the audience. And yeah, your, your base talent might be those guys that, that will be swinging steel chairs and things like that. And that might be guys that get massively over with the crowd, but they're fully invested in these out and out wrestling matches. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think they said that Rey Mysterio's first match and, in Northern America or, or in USA was, yeah. was an ECW. Yeah, which, again, that that kind of thing blew my mind a little bit mm. because it's just not the type of talent I'd associated with the promotion. Um, and, yeah, you've got uh, Jericho was there, uh, Benoit was there. Um, they show a clip. I think it's actually it's a bit later on in the documentary where Guerrero and Malenko, I think are having basically their, their last match with ECW before they go off to, uh, I assume sign for WCW at the time. Um, and the, the crowds are, they're, they're a funny crowd because there's quite a few instances through this where people are leaving and they know, and you know, I, I think I'm trying to think the sort of age of the internet was, in the later stages of ECW, it would have been there. I don't know how easily accessible it was, but news was probably travelling a lot quicker than it used to. Um, so the fans know and they're aware when it's somebody's last match and they're, they're either chanting, you sold out, or please don't go. Um, those seem to be the two sort of staples. Um, and I don't know... I, I, I think for, for Guerrero and Milenko anyway, they were chanting, please, please don't go. Um, and I think it was more when maybe when it was their talent, if you like, the homegrown guys, yeah. that they feel a bit more bitter about it at times, and it's the you sold out chance. Yeah, I, I quite like that. I quite like the whole. Uh, they, they spoke about it later on as well when Taz when when Taz finally jumped from ECW to WWF at the time, and Taz was involved in a triple threat match for the title. I think in his last match, yeah. Um, and I, I want to say it was elimination. He yeah. was the first person eliminated, um, and I was expecting them to start. I was expecting to start hearing the "you sold out" chants, um, mm-hmm. but instead, Heyman had the whole locker room out, and they they were all hugging him and everything like that as he walked out. I just thought it was lovely. It's yeah. just really nice. Yeah, I think you you get the impression from the way the talent are speaking um, that there was kind of a like a family atmosphere mm-hmm. um and i think there's a point i can't remember when this happened that wasn't in my notes but i'm sure there was a point where someone 
refers to it as being like they're, they're the outcasts. They're the guys that the other promotions don't want. So that kind of bonded them mm-hmm. together. Um, which is, again, it's, it's nice, you know, that the, they had that feel about the, the place and about the organization. Uh, also that there was somewhere else to go, you know, hundred percent. And, and like adding to that sort of family thing, they talked in this about Taz designing t-shirts, um, with no sort of art background or anything like that. Uh-huh. Uh, Bubba Dudley doing finance and business. He he had like a major business or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, He was doing business related stuff. So like it wasn't just, you know, they're not just turning up and wrestling. They probably felt a bit of ownership and um, yeah, yeah, sort of being properly involved in something like that Mm -hmm. um, rather than feeling like a commodity. Yeah. Um, As as we're going, we get a little bit of... um, background on what was Eastern Championship Wrestling um, so uh, I mean it's right in the name, it's very much a regional promotion um, and Paul Heyman getting brought on board to, to help with the, the booking and the creative. So Paul Heyman had been Polly Dangerously mm-hmm. uh, in WCW big, big mobile phone Yeah, uh, heel manager um, I think occasional announcer there as well um, clearly and it comes across during the, the documentary as well as some of the clips you see. Clearly very bitter about having been been fired by WCW. <laughs> and you kind of get the impression that he's he's been happy to get involved in ECW because he, he wants to take some kind of revenge on yeah. WCW. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, they, they talk through the a little bit through the early years. There's not, not a whole lot of information there, but then we, we see uh, Shane Douglas... Um, this is quite a, a famous segment. I've got a feeling it's one we talked about fairly. Well, I was going to say fairly recently, but last year. Yeah, I think um, we have as well. When, when we did whatever the the, the pay per view was where he fought yeah. Arsenal, maybe. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he uh, he wins the uh, NWA Championship. So the Eastern Championship Wrestling is affiliated with the NWA. Uh, he wins the, the NWA World Championship. Um, he tosses it down. He refers to it as like a, a dead, um, dead brand, dead promotion. That's it. Um, and he crowns himself the, uh, ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling Champion. Um, so you've, you've kind of got a, an intention from that point to change, to move in a different direction. Um, I don't know because they don't really go into it whether they thought there was a, a real opportunity to challenge their big established organisations but certainly they wanted to move away from being just regional um, and to just take their promotion in a different direction um, I think it, it kind of worked out really well for them the fact that they were affiliated with the NWA because that is the old establishment You've got Shane Douglas talking through all the names of the, of the, the wrestlers that had won the belt and they're these great names, but they're, they're dismissive of it. They're saying that's, that's gone. That's done. We're moving on. Um, so e- ECW as extreme championship wrestling is pretty much launched from that point. Uh, it's a, I like Shane Douglas. I know you do as well, Ross. Um, it's, it's a really good, um, segment and he, 
I think everyone knew he had heat with Ric Flair um, and it hadn't worked out for him in WCW. So again, you get the feeling, and this is happens a few times through this program, that this is a guy who's ready to buy in with Paul Heyman because he he wants to break away from the establishment. He wants to form his own thing. He wants to lead his own thing. Um, and it's a good promo. He's, he's, he had oh, very yeah. good promo skills. Yeah, It's crazy to think that that same person is... Dean Douglas. Um, yeah, but, what a waste. Uh, yeah, it is. It totally is. It's a brilliant promo. Yeah, mm-hmm. do, do you know the background of Douglas's issues with Ric Flair? Is it just that Flair was a booker in WCW and he did him wrong? I kind, I kind of assume so, but I, I, I've never really looked into it. Um, I th- I, I've got a feeling at the time he was there, Flair, if he wasn't the booker, he certainly had a, a fair bit of um, influence. Mm-hmm. So I I assume that's what happened. He I hates him. Sure. He spoke about him certainly on things that we've watched before, multiple occasions. He, he does hate legit yeah. hates him. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering when I was watching that if Too Cold Scorpio or Flash Funk, whatever he was at that point, knew what was happening. Um, and I yeah. wondered if they. I, I think they did it. I want to say that that show was in Philadelphia. Is, is that. Right, I think so. Yeah, I think they yeah. they did it in a place where they they sort of knew that they would be supported as far as the belt, eh, as far as the crowd was concerned. I just wondered if yeah. Chico Scorpio knew that was happening as well, or if that was uh, yeah, shock. That being an interesting thing to know. So I think they 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 reference on the documentary that um, Heyman and Douglas had talked it through, but I don't know beyond that who who knew that that was coming. It's a proper. I think it's like a proper underrated pro wrestling moment mm-hmm. um, yeah. you don't really hear it talked about that often but it's I would say it's probably up there where like I don't, I don't know how to put it but it's just like a tip, a perfect pro wrestling moment where yeah. you know there's a, a turn of some description mm-hmm. um, yeah I loved uh, it I really yeah it. me too it's really good um, yeah and I think uh, they, they sort of cover the fact that at this point WWE is cartoonish. It's still, it's not moved into the attitude era. It's still, you know, everyone's got a, a, a job of some kind, every performer, um, and people are craving something different. So just based on that, it was pretty clear, you know, I, I don't think Vince ever actually fully denies that ECW had an influence on WWE, not like Bischoff completely denies, but, um, it's clear to me watching it, you know, years, a couple of years probably, or a year or so ahead of the Attitude Era really becoming a thing. Um, it's it's pretty clear to me that there's influence there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, it's a difficult thing, and I, I think it's alluded to by, basically Heyman says, without ECW you don't have an Attitude Era. And then Bischoff is kind of saying, well... You know, like it didn't influence anything we did. And then whilst he's saying that, they're, they're showing you like that match for Uncensored, DDP and Raven and Benoit, uh-huh. and, you know, like they're throwing them, they're throwing yeah. each other through stuff. It's very similar to what they were doing in ECW. Uh, yeah. I, I think personal opinion is, is they've definitely influenced what they've done, both both organisations. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's just natural. It's but but at the same time, I was listening to something with uh, Bruce Pritchard earlier before we started recording. And he said that Vince never Vince had never watched ECW in his life. 
Yeah, I, and I think I can believe that, but I don't believe that the people pitching him ideas have never watched it. No, I, uh, totally. And, you know, I, I think Bischoff is, tends to be similar about anything that influenced I'm sure he tried to deny that the NWO angle was influenced by Japan when it basically had played out in Japan before WCW ever <laughs> did it. Um, I think he, he likes to make sure he gets full credit for, for everything that went yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, we we start moving into some of the performers getting spotlighted. Um, <laughs> I can assure you the first time I watched this, I had never heard of Mikey Whipwreck. Um, <laughs> he's he's not a guy that really. I think he he got a move to WCW at a point, um, but he's not a guy that ever really broke through at any high level at, at the other organisations. But um, they they talk through the fact he was basically a member of the Ring Crew, um, and he he became famous for being really good at selling and just taking a beating. Um, and we. We factor him in again a little bit later on with, with some Steve Austin stuff, um, which is quite entertaining. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, did you, if you've watched a pay per view, you may be aware of a, a guy like Mike, Mikey Whipwreck if you'd watched a pay per view beforehand. Yes, I, I used to think that Mikey Whipwreck was similar to Spike Dudley. Um, and he was mm-hmm. just a sort of little guy for guys to, to, to wreck, but I didn't get the whole background of the he never won a match, but the fans loved yeah. him, sort of thing. And I, I never got that. Yeah, um, we we move quite quickly. I mentioned this jumps about, but we move quite quickly to uh, Paul Heyman uh, talking about his philosophies uh, and fans. Um, so he's talking about he's all about accentuating accentuating the positives and hiding the negatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he uses the example of we, we cannot financially compete with the production values that WWF, WWE have. So he never tried. He, he decided, put that aside, we are what we are. Um, and he talks, and I, I, I like this because it probably couldn't be much further removed from where we are with WWE now, but is like the, the audience participation and uh, basically the, the audience feeling like they're part of the show every week. Um, he talks about having these, and it's easy when you're in the same location most weeks, but he talks about having these uh, fans that come and sit in the same seats yep. every week and they dress the same every week and they, they get their own nicknames as fans. Um <laughs> But they, they, they have matches like uh, bring your own weapons matches where you've got people in the audience handing over things to the wrestlers to use Love in their that. match. And, you you know, WWE these days doesn't listen to its audience, never mind them feeling like they're part of the show. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> did, you, did you not watch Vincent Kennedy McMahon and Pat McAfee's show? He said that that's what they do. I've they watched... I watched about two minutes of it until I realised it was never ending. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I do get... He, he legit said on that show that they listen to the fans and that the fans are the ones that guide the storylines. And, the, yeah. and then McAfee said to him, so how do you do that? Is that with social media? Um, and he says, well, you, you can only listen so much to social media. It's just like, I love the way he makes it sound like social media is smaller than the actual people that are in their audience in a building watching. Because he, 
it, it minimizes the size of the social media audience. But yeah, I mean, they could be performing to like 15,000 people. But there's a hell of a lot more people on social media talking about what's going on than there are sitting there watching it. They also uh, pipe in. They pipe in <laughs> cheating. Yeah. If, sorry, this is we, we didn't need to get into this. But, you know, you watch a clip on, on Twitter or something like that and like all the people in the crowd are sitting there like with faces really glum, not knowing what's going on. And all you can hear is, yes! Come on. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, anyway. I'll, I'll I'll move on. Um, we we get a spotlight on the Raven character. Um, now uh, we've definitely mentioned on previous shows that we're both big fans of Raven as a character. Yeah. Um, and Paul Heyman is is basically saying the same. He's saying that he made him feel more creative than any other character he ever worked with did. Um, there's obviously with a character like that a lot of different directions you can go in with the storyline, and you've got the the performers mentioning as well that. They're not so much saying they had creative freedom, but they certainly, by the sounds of it, had the ability to kind of force a direction for their characters. Um, and there's a few instances where I think, well, certainly one where Raven went too far. Um, <laughs> but, uh, much to, yeah. Much I, to Kurt Angle's anger. Oh, yeah. I've got that somewhere in my notes about that later on. <laughs> uh, but we've got Raven was central to quite a lot of the stories that went on. Um, there was a, a Raven rivalry with Tommy Dreamer, where uh, Tommy, I think he said, didn't beat him in three years of rivalry. Tommy Dreamer didn't get a win. And it's not until Raven's heading out the door mm-hmm. that uh, Tommy Dreamer gets a win over yeah. him. Um, we've got uh, the, the, the brainwashing, if you like, of, of the Sandman's family. Um, we, we do have Raven uh, crucifying Sandman. Um, as, as Russ touched on there, uh, I think, you know, sounds like that one went a bit too far. It's um, crazy that nobody knew about that. that obviously, Sandman must have, I mean, he's, he's not yeah. just going to stand there, but the fact that Raven then had to go back out and, and apologise. So you, you touched on the thing previously where Kurt Angle isn't yet in professional wrestling, so he hasn't signed for WWF at this point. He is at this show, um, so he, he's he been brought in, and I think they are hoping to be able to sign him. Uh, he's won his Olympic gold medals and all that, um, and he sees this crucifixion angle, and he's, a, he's, he's quite a religious man, Kurt Angle. He is not happy at all with what he's seeing. They have him on a talking head, as a talking head, talking about this. And he says, he apparently said to Paul Heyman that if he is shown on this programme with that segment, he he will sue them. You um, will be hearing from my lawyer. And, uh, he's, he's clearly, from then on, got absolutely no interest in ECW. But the other thing about the angle is Raven actually goes out and apologises to the audience. Um, so this is an ECW audience, you would think an anything goes audience, um, but clearly there's a feeling a, a line's been crossed mm-hmm. there with that. Um, I never know whether I believe Heyman didn't know that was going to happen. Nah, I don't believe him, but yeah. At the same time, who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really difficult to... Yeah. Well, when were we talking here? That was about 90, 1996 they did that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. Um, it's, 
And like looking back, I find it quite funny because I can't actually believe they did it. Um, but then but we, can... we've got the benefit of if, if, who did the Undertaker? Stone Cold Undertaker did to Stone Cold in yep. a slightly different manner, but essentially the same thing. Yeah, um, and that can only be what ninety nine. Yeah, and I know that's that's another thing that I think um, Conrad Thompson quite likes to pick at with uh, Bruce Pritchard, but Pritchard always denies any religious connotations with it. Says it's not a cross; it's a symbol. It's the Undertaker's symbol. It's not, uh, but yeah, he's, he's he's just trying to bullshit his way out of that one. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mentioned before the stories are quite scattered. So we go immediately from Raven and some of his rivalries into Taz and Sabu. So I knew who Taz was going into this. I think I'd heard about Sabu as just being this crazy wrestler. Um, and you, you, they talk through. It sounds like there was genuine heat between them. Mm-hmm. Um, they they reference when they were. Tagging together, Sabu had no-showed for an event. He'd gone to Japan to do a show right. instead. Uh, Paul Heyman comes out to address the audience at the start of the show and he buries Sabu for, for not being there. Um, and I, th- I think it's Tommy Dreamer who says off the back of that that uh, Heyman never lied to the audience. He did lie to the wrestlers at times, <laughs> but he never lied to the audience. That's so right. if, if something was happening, <laughs> he would just grab a mic and go out and tell them. Um, we we see uh, footage of Taz getting his neck broken. Um, God, that's with, horrible. Yeah, uh, it's a spike pile driver. Um, it didn't look great, and then he's trying to move. They tell a story about him walking into the hospital. Uh, I think Tommy Dreamer's the guy that that helped him get there. Yeah. Um, and he he goes into the hospital a and they're like, facility, I think. <laughs> and they're like, how how did you get here? Like, oh, we, we walked in. He's like, no, you can't have because the injury was so severe that the uh, the doctors could not believe he had walked. Um, he's a he's clearly a pretty tough guy, his Taz. Um, but yeah, that that injury, I think he said, put him out for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did compliment. Paul Heyman by saying he continued to pay him despite the fact and this kind of backfires a little bit later on but despite the fact that there was no written contract between them um, he was basically working on a a handshake deal Um, and I think you know the fact that it sounds like a lot if not all of them were working on handshake deals some of them probably stayed around longer than they had to which I think also just underlines the the bond uh, between them and and the promotion as well as Heyman Aye and it underlines his probably poor business skills. Yeah. At the same time. Uh, yeah. What, what did you think of the look of the Tasmaniac? It wasn't for me, I've got to say. <laughs> yeah. Some uh, drastic transformation um, from from Tasmaniac to Taz, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I, I maybe had the benefit of seeing Taz before ever seeing the Tasmaniac, mm-hmm. um, which, but that just made it look weirder because I'm looking thinking, well, why, why was his Taz look not just always his look? Uh, um, it just uh, kind of looks cartoony, <laughs> but uh-huh. sort of jungle type um, clothes that he's it, wearing and stuff. It, it might have fitted in on early to mid 90s WWE. Um, uh, absolutely. He, he, he probably could have got signed there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought he had a really cool look. Um, when he became who he was as Taz um, because like not being rude about it and I know Jerry Lawler is rude about it later on but um, he, he's not the tallest guy but he just looks like a badass despite that 
Totally. It, it looks. Uh, I, I suppose I've never really ever thought about this, and UFC only really became a lot bigger as 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 uh, wrestling has moved on. Um, but he, he definitely looked like a shoot fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looked like a like a not a mixed martial artist. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we get to talking about some um, what's referred to as talent raids. Um, so we hear about w, WCW and WWF coming for DCW guys. Um, it, it sort of comes out here that um, Vince wanted to work with them. Uh, he obviously, for selfish reasons, could see the value in ECW existing. Uh, he felt like it was a good training ground, if you like, getting people ready for TV, getting them ready in the ring. Uh, whereas Bischoff, I think, probably short-term thinking was more thinking, I'm just going to take that guy's talent. Uh, mm. We'll take it, we'll put it on our TV, we'll reap the benefits. Um, so I'd, I'd mentioned before, I think, where we get the fan reaction to Guerrero and Malenko leaving. That was basically here where that that comes out in yeah. the documentary. Um, and the please don't go chance. Um, this is the, the sort of, it all made sense when I thought about it, but this is where Heyman talks about uh, WCW stealing ideas not just talent but ideas so he's he's talking about the cruiserweights he's talking about the hardcore matches that that uh, basically each promotion starts putting on um i don't i remember wwf had a cruiserweight division but it wasn't notable really was it uh, takamishinoku no. Taka basically uh, they did that light heavyweight belt that's right Taka. Yeah. um and then sort of uh, nameless faces sort of thing Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you can you can see uh, Heyman's not only bitter about them stealing the talent, and I think they have. There's a bit of back and forth the way they cut the the, the interviews together. Because you get Bischoff, it's like he's responding to what Heyman's throwing out as an accusation, and he's saying, you know, one man's raid is another man's acquisition, or something like that. Um, and he's he he has to have a dig about you know I'm taking these guys who probably aren't getting paid. Um, and, and, you know, giving them a better living and all that. Um, just some unnecessary digs, I felt. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Um, we, this, this, I remember when I first watched this, this was the bit that blew my mind a little bit because this is where we see and hear about Steve Austin. Um, and I'm actually sitting thinking when I'm first watching this, what has Steve Austin got to do with? WC, uh, ECW and I'm like mm. and then uh, yeah the, Paul Heyman talks about having uh, heard that he'd been uh, Steve Austin had been fired by WCW um, Paul Heyman had married uh, married? <laughs> managed <laughs> Steve Austin in, <laughs> in uh, WCW for a period of time so he, he gives him a call he, he says that he was lucky in that he was just the first person to call him um, when he'd heard he'd been fired. So he does a, it's an okay impression of, of Austin, as Heyman's telling the story. Decent, I thought it was good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he, he says to Austin, well, you know, you've clearly got grievances. Why, why don't you come and air them on TV? Um, rather than talk to me on the phone, come and say them to a camera. So Austin, it almost sounded like wasn't aware that ECW were on TV in the first instance. Uh, but he agrees and he comes in. And um, it sounds like, and just from the clips, it looks like there was uh, 
quite a wide range of uh, characters and promos that, that Austin delivered during this time. He couldn't physically, I think when he first joined, he was still injured, so he couldn't get in the ring and wrestle at that point. But he was able to uh, have a go at things ranging from Hogan, Bischoff, Nitro, um, and and just really see how he was feeling about all that, as well as really hamming it up for for a, a lot of the experiences he talks through. Um, I think this makes it all the more baffling to me. But then you say he's never watched ECW. That when Austin first signed for WWF, apparently the instruction McMahon gave the writers was he is not to talk. So I I don't know how anyone who has seen this and I don't know what ability he had to or what time he was given to deliver promos in WCW, but I mean what he's shown just in those clips in ECW was really entertaining. Yeah, it's it's bizarre because I was thinking about that as well because they they say that this was what um, led WWF to sign them in the first place, but then his first gimmick I think was the ringmaster and he didn't speak. Yeah, <laughs> just. Bizarre. Um, Par for the course, I suppose. I I guess it's been um, kind of mutually beneficial for them at the time because Austin got to give his promos, uh, get a little bit of ring rust off him. Uh, Not a lot because uh, I think he wrestled very little in ECW. But um, just before he, he made the move to WWF, I have heard sort of conflicting stories that he'd actually already signed with WWF before he got on TV with ECW and that they had agreed to let him go there because he wasn't ready to work. He couldn't get in the ring Um, and just apparently said to him and just kind of do what you want with him where, you know, we'll, we'll do our own thing once he gets here. Um, Mm. Yeah. Well, they probably already had the the ringmaster gimmick uh, planned, but um, he he does a, he has a match. Uh, Heyman basically speaks about this and you see like a couple of little clips, but he has a match with Mikey Whipwreck. Um, and I think it was Austin's first match back after his, his injury. Um, and apparently Austin said to Heyman when they're, they're laying out what's going to happen. Austin's like, I've, I've got to put him over. Now, Mikey Whipwreck isn't supposed to win matches. He's, he's not that guy. Um, and Heyman's a bit like taken aback. He's like, well, you can't. That doesn't make any sense. And Austin's like, trust me, I'll put him over and then I'm going to deliver these promos about how Oh, I ran him so close. And then like it it just seems like it was brilliant entertainment. Um so yeah, I, I think he, he clearly didn't care about winning a match or losing a match. It was more about, you know, getting a character over. Um which let's say worked out for him in the long run. <laughs> um do you were were you aware I suppose that with the timeline it probably wouldn't happen because we weren't getting the TV here. So I'm assuming any knowledge of Austin you had would have been straight to WWE rather than being aware of him being in ECW at the time. No, nah, not ECW. I remember yeah. him in WCW. I remember stunning yeah. Steve Austin and um, Hollywood Blondes. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, nah, no ECW. Okay. Uh, it was quite interesting to see because that's, again, I know it now and I've known it ever since the first time I watched this, but I didn't know it beforehand. And at the time... Uh, Austin had become the biggest star in wrestling. I think he'd, by, by the time this came out, he'd retired, but he had been the biggest star. And you could argue, certainly one of the, the very biggest stars ever. Mm. Um, but he, he got to do some fun and pretty uh, entertaining stuff in ECW as well. And you can see, you know, like 
obviously Austin went like wildly in the stratosphere with that um with his gimmick, but then when he turned heel round about the invasion time and he was doing the what and the silly sombreros with Kurt Angle <laughs> and like I think I think we look back and we think like well, that was just nonsense, but at the same time, I I like that mm-hmm. aspect to his character. Yeah, um, he was he's genuinely really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and you you can see that charisma in, in the stuff that he did in those promos when he's been like Hogan and the, the yeah. news uh, <laughs> anchor and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, we we move on to talking uh, about Mick Foley. Um, I again, this was I knew who Mick Foley, Mick Foley was when I'm watching this for the first time, and he'd been, you know, to me, he'd been that crazy guy being thrown off hell in a cell mm. and all that. He'd been in all these violent matches, and I knew his background as well as being, you know, hardcore legend and stuff like that. Um, what I didn't expect to see was that he was portraying for a period of time in ECW an anti-hardcore character, <laughs> um, and I have to say. I loved the look of this and I, I was watching it and I, when I was re-watching this a couple of days ago, I was thinking, oh, I kind of want to go back and see that stuff because he's having a go at the crowd for their uh, demands and expectations on the wrestlers to basically put themselves through hell and destroy themselves to, to get a reaction from them. He's, as the hardcore legend, he is resenting these ECW fans and that, if you're putting Mick Foley in like this extreme company, that just wouldn't have been my expectation at all. So I, I really liked the way that that kind of flipped. Um, I, and I still, to this moment, I'm thinking, I need to go and see if I can see some of this stuff because I just thought it looked really entertaining. Yeah, both him and Austin look like they cut some brilliant promos in ECW, mm-hmm. um, probably with the shackles off yeah, uh, and allowed to just sort of do what they want to do. Yeah, um, I wish they would do that a bit more in modern days, but never mind. Um, I, I, heard, I saw the other day that he's he's got a podcast coming out with McFoley. Has he? Uh, Could be interesting. Could be quite entertaining, now. Yeah. Um, we get a, a a second look at Taz when he has come back from his broken neck. He's reinvented himself. It's like the it's like a ultimate wrestling machine. Um, he's there. There's you mentioned MMA earlier, and he has that look about him. Um, and Heyman mentions that he felt like at this point coming back that Taz gave ECW a, a big fight feel mm-hmm. in events. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he becomes one of the top of the card stars. Um, and they also talk a bit about him creating his own title, um, the FTW title. Yep. Um. Which is, is that? Fuck the world. It fuck is. the world. Thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and I don't think. Uh, that, so they've they've brought the FT Taz is an AEW. There's a team Taz of his stable, and um, he gifted the FTW title to Brian Cage. I think it was. Um, oh, right, okay. And I always thought it was a kind of like sort of emo, fuck the world sort of mm-hmm. uh, thing. But the way that they describe it here is like it doesn't matter. If he's got the world title or no, he's the hardest or he's the toughest guy in the room sort of thing. And this is yeah. FTW title was more fuck the world title uh-huh. rather than a title of 
fuck, fuck the world, the world. Uh, yeah. which I, I really appreciated and it gave, gave it a totally different meaning to me having mm-hmm. watched this again yeah that's pretty cool yeah um we the, the, there's a little bit of so we I mentioned uh, to Ross before we started recording that there's some things I really liked about this and some things I didn't like so much about it and we're we're heading straight now into something that I didn't like that much about this uh, which is the New Jack and Mass Transit incident. Mm-hmm. Um so for anyone unaware this is the story of New Jack taking advantage of a young wrestler I think he was 17 yep. who'd uh, lied about his age and his experience level um and ends up getting in a match standing in for somebody who who was a, a no show for an event um he had spoken to New Jack who was on the opposing team uh, about some of the moves he would like to get in and New Jack considered that disrespectful so basically in the match um they they told, I think it was Devon was Mass Transit's partner in the match and they told Devon just to leave the ring. So Devon basically gets knocked out right at the start and doesn't get involved in anything going on beyond that. And uh, New Jack proceeds to beat the shit out <laughs> of this, this young guy. Um, and the young guy was due to bleed uh, in the match. He had said he'd never bladed before, so New Jack is going to do it for him. He cuts him, uh, intentionally cuts him badly, uh, incorrectly, um, to the extent that this guy needs some pretty significant hospital treatment. Um, it's a, it's a horrendous situation. It's somebody being taken advantage of, somebody going way over the top. I mean, if you feel like you've disrespected, been disrespected, just, you know, don't, don't hold back on one of your punches or something like that. You know, that, that's, that would have done the job, but, um, the thing I didn't like about this, it's a horrible story, um, but the thing I didn't like is that I kind of felt like it was skimmed over and played as a little bit of an inconvenience for the company mm-hmm. rather than as a serious criminal assault. Yeah, no, uh, like you say, it's it's kind of played off. It's definitely, I don't know if there's if there's uh, footage on the, the cutting, uh, on the cutting room floor is that the right place somewhere but this feels very um, much like it was uh, sort of played down Um, and we've got the again we've got the benefit of hindsight when we watched this the first time we probably didn't think anything of it apart from well that's crazy Mm -hmm. Um, having watched the New Jack episode of Dark Side of the Ring he like set out to to hurt this guy Mm -hmm. Um, it was the it was the tag team of who he was in the gangsters um, that that yep. were wrestling, and like you said, they deliberately got Devon out of the ring and just went to town on this this seventeen year old guy. It's just it's fucking criminal, is what it is. It's just ridiculous. Um, yeah. And I've, yeah. I've got I've got a quote here, and they didn't talk about this in the documentary. Like you're saying, the the, the kind of um, kind of so go go past it as quickly as they can. After the match, New Jack grabs the microphone. That was at a house show, um, mm-hmm. but there's footage of it. He said, "McMahon, Bischoff, look at this motherfucker." As far as I'm concerned, that fat piece of shit can bleed to death because I don't give a fuck. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, I. 
I, I think, yeah, I watched the Dark Side of the Ring documentary as well, and there's obviously been a few incidences instances where he's taken some pretty severe liberties with people. Um, it's, uh, it's terrifying, actually, when, when you hear about it. Uh, basically, he's... He, he, he he said that in the promo, but he doesn't care if that guy dies, which mm-hmm. is just mind blowing to me. But anyway, and he had the same. I can't remember who it was. He tried to throw somebody off a scaffold, and yeah, um, in a scaffolding match, and his whole thing was he was going to try and kill him because of a botch in a previous match. I don't remember who it was. Do you? I don't. I, I remember hearing about it, and I remember. I think there were tables set up that he was supposed to fall through, and right. you Jack tried to. Throw him off so that he would miss them. Yeah, right. yeah. Imagine. That was an ECW. That was an ECW as well, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, I don't think the one where he just got a knife and stabbed the guy in the ring a few <laughs> times. I think that was on some indie show with about twelve people in the audience. But yeah, he's, he's got some previous. Um, <laughs> but the the whole point is the fact that this was sort of washed over. It's yeah. not really mentioned very much, and yeah, I would recommend people watch that episode, New Jack. Yeah. yeah, that episode Dark Side of the Ring. Um, yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, we've. I'll, I'll go a little bit lighter now. Um, <laughs> we we start hearing about the WWF interest in ECW, and they play some clips of. I'm sure it's like uh, Mabel wrestling in a match, and the ECW chants are starting up in the in the crowd. I think I um, want to say it's King of the Ring '96. Okay, is, is that the same one where Dreamer and and um, Sandman are in the crowd, or is that a year before? Maybe it's in Philadelphia, and like you say, they're they're chanting for ECW and all that. Yeah, this is apparently a, f- a show in Philadelphia before Vince calls Heyman and says, "How about you bring your guys?" Uh, okay. So this was, the, the, I think, the first awareness Vince had of, hmm, what's what's this they're chanting? What, what does this mean? What's going on? Um, so I mean, Mabel's in the ring, so they're going to chant anything other than watch what's going on. Um, and you've got uh, Vince has the idea that they can uh, spotlight some ECW talent, mutually beneficial. Uh, Going to do that the Mind Games pay per view. Um, so they they have some That's ECW true. talent in the front row. Um, I think it's during a oh it's Bradshaw and oh what's the guy's name. It'll come back to me at some point. Um, so they're they're shouting and and getting themselves a little bit involved. Apparently, the WWF talent don't know that, that, that everything's been prearranged between Heyman and Vince about this. Um, and they, uh, the there's a little bit of I think just from the crowd a little bit of brawling and things like that. Um, they they then have the situation where the WWF allow ECW to invade Raw. Um, basically, I think is it Heyman and the Pitbulls or something like that mm-hmm. that come into the ring at first, and th- this is all designed because ECW are finally going to get on pay per view. Yep. Um, and Vince is basically letting them promote their pay per view on Raw. Um, though it was interesting, you've you've got uh, there's a few instances that are that are picked out on this, like Sabu. Jumping off the the raw letters, but falling off turning to RVD rather than jumping. And when you see it, it, it I think the R goes backwards as he's mm-hmm. trying to leap off. So yeah, yeah he just basically falls down. Um, the the sort of tie in with the mass transit incident was apparently ECW from the backlash about that 
found it harder to get on pay-per-view, but they eventually get there uh, after some pay-per-view providers thought that uh, ECW was real, like MMA, um, and they didn't want anything to do with it. And I think at the time, MMA wasn't getting on pay-per-view either. There was quite a big stigma about that kind of thing. Um, and he also had Jerry Lawler positioned as like the uh, on-screen anti-ECW guy. Yeah. Um, so while the likes of Vince is is not really saying anything derogatory about them, that's it's all Lawler. And I got the impression that was his maybe his genuine thoughts about the whole thing. Yeah, that, that was another one that I thought he's working, but but then I, I, I never know if you're ever seeing the true Jerry Lawler or not. But mm-hmm. um, he was a bit of a territories legend, I think, and I, yeah. I, I, I do get that impression as well. And mm. I think Cornette invaded with him as well, and Cornette's been very vocal about his feelings on ECW and yeah. nonsense that he felt that it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one with, certainly with Lawler um, and with Cornette, just given the territory's background, that I assume it's just the ultra-violence that they're, they're like against, but, you know, Lawler's been in some pretty violent matches himself over the years, and I'm I'm sure Cornette's probably promoted some over the years, but I imagine they're they're of the view that it has its place and its place is maybe one match on a card a couple of times a year or something like that, rather than uh, every week on your TV. Um, like I think um, I think the gangsters were on. No, what was Cornette's promotion again? Smoky Mountain. Smoky Mountain. No, I think that's where yeah. they came from. To, to yeah, that's ECW. right. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think it's just the sort of Jerry Springer. Aspect of yeah. violence. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they finally get to air a, a pay per view. It was barely legal, uh, was the, the first ECW pay per view. Um, I, I had a little bit of a, a gripe that I didn't feel like this, this seemed like a huge event to me in my mind. They get on pay per view, but I didn't think they spent very much time on it mm. um, going through this. So, they talk about one, one of the big stories that they talk through is RVD being furious because he wasn't on the card initially and he you know considers himself to be one of their biggest stars and i think he ends up on the card just as like an addition at the last minute that's right um the the crowd get to see the the long awaited uh, grudge match between Taz and Sabu um and also one of the guys i, I meant to mention him a little bit earlier cuz he gets quite a lot of credit um for his involvement was Terry Funk yeah so Terry Funk i think there was a feeling him uh, joining ECW gave them a little bit of um, credibility yep. uh, as a, a genuine legend. Uh, he's involved in the pay-per-view. He he wins uh, a match to become the number one contender. He wins a, a triple threat and then he faces Raven for the title and, and, and wins the, the title. Um, so yeah, it's it, it touches on these, these elements, but I kind of thought I could have done with a little bit more info about the, the pay-per-view. Yeah, you could I was just think this um, crossed my mind a few times. I think uh, in this day and age, without WDB holding the rights to ECW, like a Netflix um, ten episode thing would have, mm-hmm. would you would have been able to do that? No bother with this. And I think yeah. a full episode, a full hour on that pay per view and it culminating in Terry Funk winning would be really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Especially I mean, when they're talking about the Transformer blowing at the end and they just got off pay per view ten yeah. seconds. Again, it's, yeah. it's just all very dramatic. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I, it's, that's the kind of thing I'd be interested in. I mean, don't get me wrong, this is it's almost three hours, I think, uh, this documentary. So there's plenty of things that you do get a lot of detail in. And I suppose you can't go into full detail on everything because mm-hmm. they'll have had some restrictions on, on time length. But um, yeah, I, I felt like uh, there were some bits that came across a little bit repetitive and they could have gone into more detail on, on other elements. But I'm... I'm, I'm uh, I'm clutching a little bit because it's a very good documentary on the mm-hmm. whole. Yeah. Um, we we talk again about more talents leaving um, and we're seeing uh, Tommy Dreamer talking about Raven as being the one that he, he felt most. He, he that, that one hurt, in his opinion, when Raven left. They'd obviously worked together a lot, uh, a lot of programmes together. Uh, at the point Raven leaves, uh, Dreamer's given his, his win over Raven and um, and it it kind of sounded like he he just wished that whole that whole thing hadn't happened. I think Raven they go to WCW at this point, and that didn't really work out very well. I don't think for not long term anyway. Yeah, and then ended up going back to ECW. Yeah, and and I think I quite enjoyed. Uh, we talked about before, like you say, about Raven character, and we both like it. Um, but the WCW version of him just kind of felt like a polished version. Of the yeah. gritty character who's playing ECW, which worked a hell of a lot mm-hmm. better as that gritty character. Yeah, I think he, he probably realised quite quickly, creatively, he'd been far better off at WCW. Um, and I mean, it never really worked for him again. It was it was kind of the same in WWE as he had been in WCW. Um, mm. It just didn't feel like it had that same impact or weight to it. Um, no. Yeah. Anyway, um, we we hear uh, an interesting story about um, ECW apparently having a, a mole in the office who is helping uh, poach talents for WCW from ECW. Um, so Todd Gordon, who had sold the company to Paul Heyman but remained as a figurehead mm-hmm. after that, um, was identified or suspected to to be that mole. Um, so I, they, it didn't look like they buried him on TV. They basically thanked him for everything he'd done, but that was him fired. He, he wasn't there anymore. Um, I get the impression. I got the feeling watching it all that Heyman was very paranoid about this and about deals, especially going to WCW. And I, I never got the impression deals with WWE hit him as hard as the WCW ones did. I should. I found this bit really interesting as well. Now headed off to Google to find out a bit more about it because it sounded quite scandalous. Um, the fact that him and Bill Alfonso, Terry mm-hmm. Taylor, um, yeah. were basically trying to steal ECW wrestlers for WCW. Um, and there's a, there's another documentary that uh, sets out the history and, and everything of ECW called Forever Hardcore that you can find on YouTube. Um, and within that, it talks about this being a big work. Um, okay. And Bill Alfonso ends up, I think he ends up fighting Beulah McGillicuddy as a result of he does, yeah, of all this. And yeah, I think in that documentary, it sort of leads from that to that. Um, so I don't know what's what's true. I, again, it's you don't know what's what's real and what's not. Um, yeah. And sometimes that's the best. Sort of yeah, absolutely. It. I think I will maybe give Forever Hardcore a watch. I've just made a note of that, just so that I'll I'll remember. Um, 
the we we get that you touched on this earlier uh, some info about the you know the everyone pitching in type attitude uh, in ECW so you you've got uh, Tommy Dreamer involved in in booking the shows you've got Bubba Ray Dudley involved in booking the venues and uh, a lot of the like the business side of things you got Taz doing artwork um they showed clips of Tommy Dreamer with uh, like merchandise and stuff like that and and trucks uh, and he talked about them them being the guys that were actually transporting the merchandise and getting a lot of the uh, the wrestlers girlfriends into the office to help them package up merchandise and send them out and things mm-hmm. like that um and it, it very much sounded like uh you know we can't we can't hire people just to do these things so we all just need to pitch in um and i, I like that i mean it's so again so far removed from anything you would get in a major company now but um i don't know there's something a bit more pure about it in a way yeah yeah 100 percent. it's probably quite reflective of territory style mm-hmm. uh, organizations yes yeah. um they they move on to uh, talk about Al Snow and this I remember we discussed on a, a previous show as well of uh, the the head gimmick. Um, hear a story about Paul Heyman buying all these styrofoam <laughs> heads uh, because he I think he said he wanted like a rave mm-hmm. look in the crowd. Um, and to be fair, when the lights are going and everyone's doing doing the the heads, it, it, it looks amazing. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and then them all throwing them into the ring, which looked brilliant as well. Um, I remember so yeah. us watching and, and uh, reviewing that show and being a little bit blown away by the way that, mm-hmm. you know, Al Snow's represented and, and treated there and then going back and he was put into that uh, silly storyline with Jerry Lawler and yeah. there being such a big difference in the way that he's presented. Yeah. Um, I've got in my notes here the impact of ECW and I've just got written fucking Bischoff always belittles ECW and denies it had any impact on anything <laughs> um, I think that basically sums up most of his sound bites through through the, the show um, I have got Vince acknowledges it had an impact but said that they had to that when they took the ideas they had to shape them uh, in a WWE mass appeal kind of way um, which at least there's some acknowledgement there <laughs> Um, and I, I, I'll I'll get back on some of his comments a little bit later because I suppose some of them end up being quite telling. Some of Vince's, um, he might not be a wrestling genius anymore, but he's probably still got a good business head mm. on him. I would have thought. Yeah. Uh, another thing we talked through on a pod was the match with Bam Bam Bigelow and Taz, where they go through the ring, um, and. It got a little bit of, I remembered it when I started seeing it, a little bit of background about the, the match being in Bam Bam's hometown, basically, but Taz getting a good crowd reaction wherever he went. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when Bam Bam crawls out of the ring first, the crowd going mad for it and all that. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, we've seen it done quite a lot, uh, in terms of going through the ring or ring collapsing and stuff like that. But I just thought they worked it well. Thought it looked pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it did. Um, the the Dudleys were the next guys up uh, in terms of a little bit of a spotlight and a bit of a profile. Um, I it wasn't until I went back and saw some old ECW stuff that I found out that there was more than well certainly Bubba Ray, Devon, and Spike because they were the only ones I'd seen come across to 
uh, WWF. Um, you had, was it Sign Guy Dudley? Yeah. And Big Dick Dudley? Big Dick, aye. And uh, they had that guy as well that did promos for them. I forget his name. This, this, come on now, what was his? The Certified Stud Muffin? <laughs> yeah, that's him. No. I can't remember his name either. Oh, It'll but come back to me. I want to say, and I've maybe said this before, but I'm sure I read somewhere that the first time CM Punk was at AEW for that um, Rampage show where he came out and was diving in the crowd and all that, that they had that guy with him backstage. Yeah. Have I said that before? I think so, yeah. Why would he not bring that guy out? I yeah, I don't know, because some of his promos were absolutely amazing. I mean, a little bit much at times. Nah. Nah? Nah. nah. Um, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm trying to buy time because I'm looking them up right now. Um... Oh, why is he not named? That's going to bug me long term now. But anyway, the guy was incredible with his promos. Um, but they showed actually clips of um, Bubba Ray Dudley doing some particularly offensive and abusive promos at the crowd. And you heard stories about the fact that uh, at times people from the crowd would wait for them uh, after the shows, um, wanting to try and get to them. Um, that's again, it's like old school heel. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're picking out somebody in the crowd, you're running them down, you're uh, just verbally abusing them, and then they're so wound up that they're actually willing to wait until after the show to try and confront you, um, which I I love. Um, <laughs> The, we see clips of the, apparently the first time uh, a table was ever set on fire and somebody put through it uh, in American wrestling. Um, we see the Dudleys put, lighting the table and putting Balls Mahoney that's through shame, a table. That's crazy. Yeah, and the crowd are so into it as well. Um, but I, I believe they were the, the type of heels, the Dudleys, where they, they just, um, like people just wanted to see them get beaten up. Um and it sounds like in the, the early days anyway, they did a lot. They they would get their comeuppance a lot. Um, which is it's what you want to see when you've got the ultimate heel group. You want them to get their their comeuppance. It's that heat. Heat that Bubbery says that people don't have anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um where was I? Oh, okay. So we then start, you kind of feel like we're drifting towards the, here's the reason everything went wrong um, type area. <laughs> start talking about money. Yeah, we're we're into the Heyman money uh, section of things. So uh, Heyman talking about not being able to afford to pay the boys at times. Um, we're hearing from uh, Tommy Dreamer about most veterans who know they can get work elsewhere not sticking around too long because let's face it they're not going to put up with not getting paid but unfortunately it kind of sounds like the veterans tended to be the priority to get paid and it would maybe be the loyal guys uh, that would miss a check mm -hmm. now and then uh, I, think, Tommy I think Dreamer uh, sorry I think you're maybe about to say this Dreamer says he went six months without being paid yeah six months without getting paid which is incredible you know I mean imagine that happened to one of us you, you couldn't you couldn't get by um we we get uh, Lance Storm um, talks about uh, a situation where he had a couple of bounce checks and he basically goes and uh, speaks to Heyman and gives him a, like, it sounded like a three strikes and you're out type situation. Um, basically, 
if if I that's one, and if I bounce two more checks, I'm done, and I'll walk away because I'm not. You, I think it sounded like he had a contract, but he said you would have breached the contract, so oh, I can shit. walk. Um, and he never got another bounce check again after that. Apparently, um, we've got the Dudleys saying they were apparently paid every penny they were due. Um, but the the general feeling, and it's said by a few, um, is that he's not a good businessman. Um, he's they they all seem to rate him for his his wrestling brain, but as a businessman, he he fell short, and that's how things and why things started to go wrong. It's really interesting that Dudley's basically said that they asked for a dollar more, a literal dollar more yeah. in the contract, and Paul just said, "If you don't want to stay here, I can't compete." It sounded like a standard on his principles type uh-huh. thing where they were making it clear that you literally just have to offer us a dollar more and he's just said, I'm sorry, but I can't compete. Yeah. Um, it's that kind of thing of, yeah, stand on your principles and and, and, not, and you're not really needing to. Uh-huh. Um, and I guess that's where the downfall sort of comes that, you know, they, they talked about, I think they talked about Heyman being their biggest, what did they say? Is, it, is their biggest... Asset, but also that's great. That ECW's greatest enemy, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, um, yeah. Joel Gertner, that's the guy. There by the go. way, yeah. Uh, I, it didn't come back to me. I had to look it up. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, we we then move on to talking about the TV deal, and I found a lot of this pretty intriguing. Um, he'd been Heyman had trying to had been trying to get ECW on national TV, and he finally strikes a deal with TNN. Um, this was one of Vince's comments that maybe, maybe rang true in the end. Uh, he f- contacted him to congratulate him, but warns him that now the product's national, so he's going to have to broaden its appeal. And he talks about the fact that on WWE program uh, programming, they they try to have something for everyone um, because you need to try and appeal to the broad audience, um, which is. Something I, I, I don't, I don't know if Heyman ever intended to do that, but you can look and say in a lot of the early days, they, they had the luchas. They had the, you know, pure wrestling as well as the violence. Maybe he just ran out of talent mm-hmm. to be able to actually put on that kind of show. Um, we, I, this is one leapt out in my mind and what I've written in my notes is just when they get the TV deal, the Dudleys and Taz signed with WWE. Mm-hmm. Brackets so much for the support, Vince. Um, that's that has to you know destroy them because that's their biggest star, you could argue, in Taz mm-hmm. and their their biggest tag team, and they're just gone and they're not on their brand new TV show, which uh, must be a huge blow to their their product. You would think, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But but what I would say is, Heyman's behaviour, nah. <laughs> only going face values as to what they're saying about the TV deal and the way that TNN basically uh, they're sort of showing it that TNN signed them to that deal and then did nothing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't help promote it or anything like that. But and you, you see this in other aspects as well, other aspects of media where people get signed in big deals and then they spend their time running down the company that have signed them because they've not stuck to their contract. Um, yeah. and, and you just have to think in another situation, would a good businessman have 
emotionally went on air and started talking <laughs> about the network. Yeah. Because there's another ne- another network want to get in company with you um, when that's your behaviour, when you're being yeah. paid by that network. It just seems really short-term thinking. It just seems really emotional and reactionary. Yeah. Um, yeah. It yeah. kind of made me think differently, aiming a little bit and just think that, you know, surely there's somebody saying, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I think, I think, I think um, he probably needed someone alongside him with more of a business mind. Um, and if he's doing everything, yeah, he, he very clearly gets too emotional about it because, you know, even when you're talking about, uh, I've got in my notes here what you mentioned about the Dudleys and asking for a $1 raise and they were told no. Um, and they weren't asking Heyman to financially match what they were being offered elsewhere. They just wanted something. That's um, an indication. Aye. Yeah. Um, and he, he wouldn't budge. Now, that struck me as emotional as well. Um, he, he thinks they're going to leave him and he's kind of, you know, a little bit childish I in his, see, his reaction totally. about that. Um, you, you've got RVD talking about the, the individuals are growing quicker than the company is able to grow, which I think is a valid point. I mean, he, he's basically there till the end, I think, but so many are, are leaving uh, as, as time goes by. Taz has left and he, he was never working on a contract. And again, you come back to bad business. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have had to get something for Taz breaking a contract and leaving them um, if he had been under a deal. Um, and they, they talk about Taz, what you mentioned earlier, he's the champion when he uh, confirms he's going to be leaving. And they do a three-way dance. Um it's Mike Awesome and someone else, isn't it? I can't remember who the third participant was, but um, Taz loses first and he gets the the warm reaction of the locker room coming out to the ramp as he is walking back. And they're basically thanking him while the match is still yeah. in progress, yep. um, which I think, you know, you could look at as a little bit disrespectful to the match ongoing, but I think with who Taz was for that company, it was fitting. Um, they they mention um, like you touched on earlier apparently TNN uh, didn't ever do any advertising for ECW they didn't promote the show they didn't you know basically people the way it was phrased was people had to just stumble upon the show to know it was there mm-hmm. um, there's I think a, a lot of truth in what you say about Heyman's reaction because he is going on screen. He, he was apparently battling the network right from the start. Um, they, I think it's mentioned that they asked for nothing but original programming and he used a pay-per-view match in the first show that they, they showed, which wasn't original. People had seen it. Um, so as much as you can say they weren't doing an awful lot for the product, he is not helping the product by doing things like that. Yep. He's directly going against what they've asked him to do. Childish. Yeah. Um, it comes across that way. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, you've got um, the introduction of the, the Cyrus character as the on-screen network sensor. Um, what's that, that guy's name? Was that um, Don Carlos? Yes, it was. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was... He was who? The Jackal? Yeah, Aye. that's right. Yep. I'm sure we've mentioned him recently as well. Oh, <laughs> um, so yeah, he's he's the on-screen uh, network sensor. Um, 
and Heyman does this promo where he's he keeps using the word shoot um, and he's talking about the fact that TNN and apparently this is true were publicly negotiating with WWE for uh, for what I assume was Raw um, to get Raw on their network while they had the ECW programming they obviously weren't going to keep ECW if they got Raw they, they were just going to bin them um, and that I think was maybe it, it got the impression that kind of broke Heyman that that mm. fact. Um, we, we we end up in a situation. This I found this interesting because this in any mainstream this cannot have happened at any other time. We have a situation where Mike Awesome is the ECW champion and he signs for WCW. Okay, that that may have happened before, but. <laughs> WWE offer to send Taz back to ECW to have a title match with Mike Awesome. So you've got a WCW wrestler against a WWF wrestler on an ECW show for the ECW world title, which just seems insane. And I can kind of, once they've got themselves in this predicament, and by this point, uh, ECW obviously have had a working relationship with Vince. He's, you know, helping fund them, helping finance them a bit. Um, so I imagine there's just more trust in them having a WWE guy as their champion than a WCW guy mm. as their champion. Um, but it still just seemed bizarre to me because you're, you're taking your world title off the WCW show and putting it on the WWF show which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so Taz wins the title and then has the title on uh, WWE TV and has a match Smart, with Triple yeah. H. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he loses the match, obviously, it's Triple H. But um, it, it's such a weird dynamic. At the time, I, th- I think Triple H is champion. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like a champion versus champion situation. Um all very strange. Uh, Tommy Dreamer is the guy who is selected to win the belt from Taz. He seems strangely unhappy. Um, like he, he mentions that he never wanted to win a title when he was in, uh, ECW. Um, I think he had the tag belts, but, uh, yeah, he, he didn't seem to want to be the guy, but he, he was the guy. Um, but at least the titles then on a, a wrestler who's, you know, not contracted <laughs> to one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was, that, that just really interested me because, I mean, you can't even imagine something like that happening with WWE now, but I suppose with things that happened with AEW fairly recently, you did have situations of, you know, the impact, uh, crossover and involvement and things like that. Um, but that's all, you know, this has clearly happened because somebody has just decided to leave and go somewhere else mm. rather than the bosses of those organisations agreeing to work together in the first instance. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it'd be like, who's your, who's your t- champion? Hangman Page appearing on Raw with the belt on? Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're pretty much at the end and my heading for this bit of the notes is the end. Um, so Paul Heyman talks about uh, having, you know, had the the TNN contract is gone um, and he is scrambling to try and find a new TV deal for ECW. Now, what you touched on earlier about the way he must look to another network right now after 
all his shenanigans, uh, the promo and all that. Why why would you go near it? You you would keep your distance, you would think, unless you were desperate to get that product on your ear. Mm. Um, what apparently did handcuff them was, uh, in terms of contracts, ECW were not allowed to negotiate with other networks while they were under contract to TNN, despite the fact TNN were negotiating with WWE at the time to bring them on. So it sounded like once that contract ended, that's the point where they can start looking and it's probably a lot easier to shop around when you're actually on a network already, I would have thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the the wrestlers talk about sensing the end is near, uh, talking about their emotions coming up to their, their last show. Um, the employment fears a lot of them have. I mean, it's pretty clear they're not all going to be hired by WWE at that point. Um and that's basically the only other game in town by, yeah. by the time we get to this stage. That's the sad thing about it, is that when you get to the point of ECW closing down, it's the same time, you know, unbelievable that it's at the same, roundabout the exact same time where WCW was bought by WWE. And essentially, if you're not picked up by the big team, then you're kind of just left. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the guys, like you mentioned earlier, that, it's that thing of like sort of outcasts and misfits all mm-hmm. coming together to create something together, and when that's gone, unfortunately, a lot of them have sort of fallen away, and they're back to probably working their bingo halls and churches and and whatever. And independence is a real shame. Yeah, yeah. If that happens today, you've got a thriving independent scene where people can go. You know, they could be wrestling all over the place, but back. Would that be in early 2001? I think so. Yeah, I was actually just looking up when TNA would have formed because, yeah, it took a while for it to get off the ground, but it did have a few good years. And I imagine some of them got work there at some point. Um, But it looks like uh, founded in 2002 and it looks like it was properly off the ground in like 2004. Yeah. so there was probably a, a gap there where employment was pretty hard, or steady employment anyway, was pretty hard to come by for a, a lot of these performers. Um, some of them were brought in for the invasion angle. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty short-lived for quite a few of them, I would have thought. Yeah. 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 And, and others, I think some of them have got backstage jobs and things like that. Dreamer seems uh-huh. to certainly have been about WWE for quite a long time, but yeah. generally... Yeah, like Sabu. I I can't even remember if Sabu was involved in Invasion, don't think so. I don't think he was either, no. Um, It's just, even in a sort of hardcore environment that they had in 2001, some of it's just, it goes back to what you were saying about Vince, about um, marketing to a national audience rather than a hardcore niche audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the the sort of the last things I've mentioned in my notes are the the general feeling when you've watched it is that Paul Heyman wasn't a good enough businessman to keep this going, um, and he he does actually say that he feels if they'd got the TV deal they would have survived and still be going today, which I I would question, <laughs> um, but you know it's I, I it almost sounded like he was trying to. Uh, put one over on WCW by being like, well, we would have survived, Aye. you know. Um, so Heyman goes on to to be an announcer uh, for WWE, working with JR, uh, which one. I 
Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a really good combination. Um, unfortunately, it kind of it forced its end with the invasion angle, really, um, because I I enjoyed that that combination. Um, I think it was maybe done with uh, Jr. and King by that point. Um, and uh, to this day, you still get fans chanting ECW, um, which is incredible given how long ago it actually ceased to exist. Mm. Uh, that's crazy, actually. Twenty twenty one. 20 odd years ago. Yeah. Maybe they're just big WWE CW fans. I just don't think so. No. <laughs> I don't so, think anyone was a big fan of that. This is the point where I tell you that our next episode, we're going to start <laughs> reviewing WWE CW from the start to the finish. Ah, uh, so <laughs> I've enjoyed my time on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did know some we've, we'll have talked through all of them as we went but I, I, just because it's the way we've done things previously I did note some positives and negatives from the show yeah. um, I'll go positives well I'll go positives no I'll go, I'll go negatives first I'll end on a high um, so my top negatives the mass transit mm-hmm. incident and the way it's handled on the, the documentary um, talked about it you know just it, I don't think it was given enough weight um, enough uh, importance uh, in terms of the actual person this happened to and what happened to them. Um, so yeah, that that was one. I found some of the action pretty hard to watch, especially with head trauma on my mind. Mm. Um, just in general, so many of the clips of people, you know, I think we saw two broken necks, um, one from Taz, one from Sabu, I think. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm just watching thinking, how were there not more? Cause some of this stuff's just terrifying looking. So yeah, the, the ultra violence. I, I can cope with seeing somebody bloodied, but seeing somebody land on their head or get hit with something in the head, it's just pretty unsettling mm. these days. Um, Bischoff as a talking head, just intent on belittling ECW. Uh, the people who bought this are not looking for that know, and don't need it. so strange. It's a celebration. Didn't this guy stand there telling us, Yeah, you know, he was what um, I did and they didn't do it properly. Yeah. Uh, positives. Um, I thought as a a documentary. It's a brilliant intro for ECW. A for people who didn't know what ECW was, but also for people who who loved it and want to go back and and hear the story. And um, so, I believe for a while it was the top selling DVD, WWE DVD. Um, yeah. So I don't know how the dates line up here, but apparently, best selling wrestling DVD of all time, surpassing WrestleMania twenty. Um, that's obviously a while ago, but mm-hmm. to to outsell WrestleMania, I would guess is probably quite unheard of. Yeah, um, and it that that does kind of fly in the face of it being this little niche market because mm-hmm. a lot of people wanted to watch this. Um, the second thing, the the fact that they actually showed and talked about some of the great wrestlers, some of the uh, old school storyline types. Uh, it's not just violence. It's there's there's a lot more to it than that, um, and I I like that. And uh, third thing I've noted, the uh, the setup of the company, the bond between the wrestlers, the bond between the wrestlers and the fans, mm-hmm. um, and just this as against the world mentality that seems to have been there, which I I really liked. And again, it's it's hard to see that in today's wrestling environment. Um, so yeah, I, just some things that I picked up on that, that I particularly liked about it. Throughout watching it, 
I was, it made me think about AEW and a kind of the way that it was set up as an alternative. And they kept uh-huh. talking about ECW being set up as an alternative to, well, to WCW and WWF at the time. Um, and I know Tony Khan was a big fan of ECW and, and you can see, I feel like you can see par- parallels a little bit, certainly not with like, you know, like the, the hardcore type action, but the way in which the company set up for the fans, listen mm-hmm. to the fans, whereas sometimes with WWE you find that they go against what the, you know, that whole thing of, yeah. oh, it was a swerve. Um, people didn't expect it. I feel like AEW and ECW, the way that it was talked about here, they will go with what their fans want um, yeah. and were expecting. Uh, and I felt that there was a certain number of parallels between the two companies, which was quite interesting. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for picking it and thank you for making me watch it because I, I don't think I would ever have went back and watched that without it being here for us to talk about. So, yeah, no, I'm 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 pleased as well. You you'd initially mentioned it along with a few other things, uh, like when you said, "I think it doesn't have to be a pay per view; it could be." And you named a few things, and I remember seeing it on the list and thinking, "Yes, that's I I, I just wanted to watch it again, and then thought it'd be pretty cool to talk about." So, yeah, that that was good fun. It was. It was good. Um. So I just give us a give us a, a hit up on on Instagram at Outlaws Pod if you have seen the rise and fall of ECW if you are a big ECW fan if you are the woman who threw a beer in Bubbery Dudley's face please message us <laughs> we want to speak to you <laughs> um, so shall I tell you what I've picked yes for next time yeah I'm quite excited so. Fresh off of watching AW Revolution, I was all excited about watching that, and I thought, let's go back to the start and watch the all-in pay-per-view that was before AEW. That was what was initially on my mind. My problem is, is that I watch wrestling, and then it refers to something, so I'm like, oh, I want to watch that now. <laughs> and then well, I watched this, and I was like, well... Maybe a good thing to watch would be an EC, like an ECW pay per view or even something where like the Dudleys um, debuted or something. Like that. And also that episode of Raw where it had the ECW wrestlers. I thought, oh, why don't we yeah. just go back and watch that? It was cool. However, um, putting all that aside, um, given what's happened with Scott Hall, it had me thinking about going back and watching some old pay per views with. Uh, Razor Ramon um, which led me to Bret Hart I know that they had the match at Rumble 93 Um, I thought about that, I'm just taking you through my thought process here (laughs) and then I started thinking about Bret Hart and I eventually, finally uh, landed on a show that I've not seen in a lot of years that had a, a big impact on me as a kid so that is SummerSlam 1992 cool yeah, Wembley, Wembley Stadium. Stadium. That's amazing. A, the golden, golden Legion of Doom. Do they have golden spikes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. golden spikes that day. Yeah. yeah. Um, um. But obviously, Bulldog Bret Hart. I can't remember what else is on the show. I think Michael's Razor Ramon's on it. Um, I might that might not be true, but I think it is. And I want to say, is it Warrior Savage? 
I'm pretty sure Warrior Savage. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of them where I remember LOD because that, that was a big thing. Um, I thought, I, I think I remember Warrior Savage. Um, I can't remember the full card. I remember I, I watched, uh, was it Dark Side of the Ring about Legion of Doom? The Road Warriors, aye. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's probably the main reason I remember them being on this card because that was quite a moment for them. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I, I'm sure. Yeah, it's Savage must be world champ at this point, and yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Warrior challenging yeah, him. Yeah, but but Bret Hart Bulldogs like the the main event, isn't it? Yes, that's the the last match on, and I think it's very much positioned as the main event. Yeah. Um, obviously, with it being in in London. Um, with it being uh, British Bulldog. Um, and I, th- I think Brett was always very popular mm. in the UK as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I remember I, I loved this as a kid and I'm really curious about going back. And I mean, a it's a while. Apprehensive. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, you know, Kamala's on this somewhere. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Papa Shango, maybe. Maybe. Hope so. Maybe. <laughs> we, we might not have been he was definitely there at the time I'm sure um, Vince probably on commentary can hear his what manoeuvre voice yeah um, and uh, I remember I, there was see when tag teams were around in this era and I, I, I was a little bit um, just fascinated by the natural disasters because <laughs> they were both massive uh, earthquake and typhoon and they are they are tag champs at this point because um, oh, nice. I remember <laughs> it was supposed to be originally LOD challenging them but they, they had to change things around a little bit on that <laughs> yeah so, oh, we'll get to it we'll get to it cool <laughs> so yeah two weeks time we'll talk about that awesome we're really looking forward to it yeah that'll um, be good excellent right well for episode 26 we've been the Middle East Outlaws good to be back Adam Yep, good to be back. Absolutely. That was fun. And we'll see you for episode 27. Will do. Cheers. Cheers.